Welcome to Brain Ignition Radio. Here I share with you all of the knowledge and resources I've gained as it relates to nutrition, exercise, and brain health. By sharing these interesting case studies, in-depth discussions, and research, I hope that we can learn together and improve our current health and the health of future generations. I'm your host, Chet Binning, and I thank you for tuning in. Welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Today is Q&A day on Brain Ignition Radio. Some questions we're going to cover for today. What are your thoughts on supplemental ketones for optimal health? What's your take on fruit juices such as orange juice or apple juice? Are they better than other sugary drinks out there? What should my vitamin D levels be? Do you have any suggestions for hangover cures and a couple more? So thanks again, guys, for tuning in. I guess today will be a little bit of a maybe a a lighter note or less serious, I should say, compared to last week. But, you know, I'm really happy I did that episode. I've had a lot of awesome feedback. and heard from a lot of people saying that they they just you know weren't aware of some of this stuff and i i sometimes forget this i forget that people have a life i forget that people have a life other than reading about you know nutrition and fitness and and this type of thing of course this is my job that's my career to stay up to date and as knowledgeable as i possibly can on this kind of stuff and i I do. I forget that, um, like I said, people have jobs, they have a family, they have careers, and their focus, their area of expertise is something else. You know, it, it's not this field. And that's that's just, that's life, right? I mean, if I'm going to do my taxes, I'm going to find a, an expert in that area. If I have questions about, I mean, anything, um, fixing something, building something. I am one of the least quote unquote handy individuals you'll ever come across. I'm going to seek out expert opinion, right? And I, and this is why I'm putting this podcast out there. I hope that you guys then, if you come across maybe some health and fitness stuff you're, you're not sure on and you want some extra information, I hope that I can provide some of those resources. So it, it, it you know, it, it really is a, a give and take. But as I was saying, um, yeah, happy I put it out there. Lots of awesome feedback, some follow-up questions. I'm not planning on doing a follow-up to that one anytime soon. But, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see where things go here in Ontario. But either way, if you guys have any more questions about that one, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. So let's dig into these questions for today. First one, what do I think about exogenous ketones for optimal health? So really good question. For those of you who are not aware of what these are, I don't know if they're still as as popular as they were. It seems like the keto craze has maybe calmed down a little bit, Um, but you know, I, I could be wrong. But anyways, these are 
exogenous, meaning that we consume these. So we take these in usually in supplemental form. And there's something that increases the amount of ketones in our circulation. So what are ketones? Ketones are an alternative energy source for our body as well as our brain. Now we can make these naturally. So that's important to note, right? We have an endogenous ketones, which are ketones that our body can naturally make. And we have exogenous ketones, which is what we're talking about right now. So endogenous, like I said, we can make these, you will make these when you fast for long periods of time. Some people, not everyone will have some ketones in their circulation, even when they just wake up in the morning. So as I've said before, this is actually, in my opinion, an unbelievable, but underappreciated indicator of health. In my opinion, for optimal health, maybe not all the time, but the majority of the time when you wake up in the morning, you should have some level of ketones in your circulation. This is my opinion. Maybe not everyone would agree, but what that tells me is that your body is metabolically flexible and you are burning through enough energy that your body then resorts to generating these ketones. And so to just to give you a little bit more context before I ultimately answer this, as I mentioned, you will generate these primarily when fasting, you'll generate them sometimes post-workout if you've burnt through all of your sugar and glucose or the, or the majority of it, you're not going to burn through all of it. You will be producing these when you're on a ketogenic diet as well. Now, one of the big problems nowadays is that people are not metabolically flexible, meaning they cannot and do not regularly switch back and forth between the burning of ketones. Think of these as, you know, electricity and sugar or glucose. Think of that as gasoline. So I'll say that again. The problem is most people are inefficient at flipping back and forth. And if you look at the research, there is so much science now showing that being metabolically inflexible is really not a good thing. And it increases our risk for nearly every chronic illness. Interestingly, we also see that with many chronic illnesses, as the metabolic inflexibility worsens, so too does progression of an illness. Again, not always, there is exceptions. And then in particular, neurological issues also seem to seem to show this. And, and with many of these, we see again, metabolic inflexibility. Now we can't say what came first. Did the inflexibility come before the illness or did the illness come causing the inflexibility? We, we can't say for certain, I'm not aware of any RCTs looking at this, but ultimately what we can say is that we want to be flexible. You want to be able to burn both fuel sources for optimal health and I would argue performance as well. So now to get to the question, enough of the blabbering, 
What do I think about these for optimal health? Yeah, I see them as a tool. Um, I see many things um, as a useful tool and, and that's how I feel about these. I don't think they're necessary for anyone, but I think they can be helpful for some people. So who could they be helpful for? Well, to me, they could be helpful for people who are currently inflexible and we're not gonna get into you know how you can determine that because it would kind of turn into a long, boring conversation, but I see these as useful for those people in order to help them become more flexible. So classic example, we know that intermittent fasting is gonna help someone become more metabolically flexible. That's an awesome thing. However, the truth is many people have difficulty fasting for a hundred different reasons. And so it's, it's sometimes unrealistic for some people to all of a sudden just start fasting. It, it, it can just kind of set them up for failure. So I see this as kind of like an intervention tool that can help ease that transition. Now, there's certainly some other scenarios where these could be beneficial. Um, there's some research showing that they could be beneficial for individuals with diabetes or even pre-diabetes. And that's because they seem to be able to um, lower blood sugar, lower fasting blood sugar, but also blood sugar response to a meal. So that can be beneficial for diabetes, right? And then neurological issues in particular. And in fact, this is where the whole ketogenic dieting and ketone craze first originated was I mean, I think it was like the 1920s researchers unintentionally figured out that individuals with a, with epilepsy who were not responsive to classic pharmacological treatment, they actually found that these individuals had profound improvements to their symptoms, so their seizures, when they were fasted. And this was because when they were fasting, these ketones became elevated. These ketones then entered their brain and they had these anti-seizure properties. And there's all kinds of really cool mechanisms of ketones in the brain. But this would be another example. And I'm really excited to see where the research goes in these next few years as it relates to ketones and things like concussion. I think there's some potential there. Um, but last thing I'll say in, in closing for this is that please just note that quality is a, is a big factor here. There's different kinds of ketones. The most common ones that you'll see are uh, ketone salts, but the superior form or the optimal form, at least right now, in my opinion, and where most of the research takes place is with what are called ketone esters. Um, and to my knowledge, these are not yet available over the counter. So just something to uh, keep in mind. But yeah, so I hope that kind of answers the, the question. Um, I see them as a tool. They can help people transition into you know healthier habits, transition into more intermittent fasting, maybe transition into eating fewer calories if that's a, a goal for you to meet your goals perhaps to, um, you know, be able to maybe bring down carbohydrates if, if again, if that's a goal and, and so on. So there's, there's some potential uses, but ultimately I do not see them as a requirement and they are quite expensive usually. So next up, 
What should my vitamin D levels be? Another really good question. We've been talking a lot about this lately. I think I maybe explained a little bit about this in my um, previous vitamin D episode where we focused on mental health and depression. So I, I won't spend a ton of time here, but still a really good question. So above 50 nanograms per milliliter, those would be um, the metric or sorry, the metric that's used in the United States, I do believe. But here in Canada, you're going to see nanomoles per liter. So N-M-O-L per capital L or sorry, um, slash capital L. And for this, the equivalent to that over 50 would be over 125 nanomoles. So over 125 N-M-O-L. So I had mine tested, as you guys know, if you've been listening to the last few episodes um, in about March, maybe early April, I think March, and I was at a, a 122. So I was pretty happy with this. This is a pretty good number based on the time of year, right? Because we expect our levels to be the lowest in about March, April, somewhere in that range, because it's the end of winter. And we've had the least amount of exposure to sunshine. Even if you are outside all day, every day, the angle of the sun is still in a place where that you're not going to absorb as much of that, um, that wave frequency from the sun. So it's, it's not going to be the same. So this is where we'd expect to be the lowest. However, I could still improve this. Um, and I think we can all improve this. So I just say this to kind of highlight the concept here. So I was supplementing for some of the winter, not all. I definitely was not consistent. So this is something I'm going to keep um, experimenting with kind of year to year. I would like to test vitamin D hopefully yearly is my plan now going forward just to see what affects this. If you're new to this, an example protocol that I think would be really beneficial for everyone, especially if you're living in Canada or any Northern climate. So you could either, I mean, there's a couple different options. So you could either wait to test this until the end of next winter or just do it right now. If you can get it done right now, um, you know, unless you've been out in the sun already for several hours every day, which is possible. It's been pretty nice here lately. Do it now. Otherwise, um, I would get this tested end of summer. So maybe August, September, even October that gives you your, your, your highest baseline. That's when we expect your levels to be the highest. So that is going to tell you what your high level is. I would then retest this at the end of winter. So like March, April, and compare that. If you see that your levels have really dropped off, which will happen if you're not supplementing, then that's an easy target, guys, to dramatically improve your health. Because as we've said before, vitamin D is so friggin' important for absolutely everything. We know that it's associated with metabolic health and insulin sensitivity, inflammation, mental health, depression, gut health. We know that it's important for our gut barrier. Obviously we're seeing now it's important for resilience to 
um, virus, but it's been known for a long time that it's important for our immune system and coping with inflammation and bacteria and other infection. And the list goes on and on and on. And so, like I said, I see this as a really easy thing to improve. Test your high level, test your low level. If you see it's low at the end of winter and also you realize, well, man, I've been feeling like crap lately. You know, I just haven't felt like myself. I've been kind of down in the dumps. I've uh, been anxious. I'm getting sick all the time. And if these things start to add up, well, then you can say, well, hey, like I could probably make a pretty big improvement here just by bumping up my vitamin D. And that's a pretty damn easy thing to do, in my opinion. It's dirt cheap, pretty easy to make, meaning that most companies will make, I mean, a, a perfectly fine vitamin D. We definitely can't say that with all supplements, as you guys know, but vitamin D, pretty straightforward. Look for vitamin D3. And go back to that other episode if you're interested in learning a little bit more about dosing and so on. But ultimately, to be sure on your dosing, you need to know your levels. So, you know, try this. This is, um, sure, it's going to be a little bit of a pain to get these tests, but, you know, it's a sacrifice for long-term health and wellness. So I think it's a, a good thing to look into. All right, what's next? So a question about orange juice and apple juice versus other sugary drinks. So this is probably in response to, I don't remember, perhaps a presentation I've done recently or maybe just a post, um, but I know it's something I've been discussing a little bit more lately. And that is the enormous problem with added sugars in beverages or just these sugary drinks in general. As I've said before, if I could just have, you know, if, if I was in charge of all the, the food available to everyone and I could make one decision, it would be just the complete removal of these drinks, pops, energy drinks, um, you know, all these drinks with added sugars. Um, the pop is obviously the biggest one here, but you you name it. I mean, walk into a variety store or, or grocery store. You guys know what I mean. They're absolutely everywhere, right? So kind of to summarize, the enormous problem with these is that they are just loaded with fructose. Now, fructose, maybe you're wondering, well, what's the problem with that? We get that from fruit. Yes, we do, but it's definitely not the same. And I'm going to tell you why. The major reason here is that when we consume fruit, it's coming with what I will call complementary nutrients. Things like fiber, things like polyphenols. You're also chewing, which is also critical. So, but one of the big ones here is the fiber. So because it's coming with natural fiber, it's going to slow the digestion of that fruit and the sugar it contains. The juice or the drink has zero. It's been completely removed when it is processed, meaning that it's going to behave completely different just if we look at this factor alone. But there's other ones, like I mentioned, like the polyphenols, like the act of chewing. So 
Um, perhaps uh, uh, something for a deeper dive in the future, but I've done a pretty fairly in-depth blog post on this before, but the act of chewing itself is, is just so fascinating and interesting. I mean, as soon as you begin to literally mechanically chew something, your entire digestive system is basically mobilized. Your body detects this chewing. It releases a cascade of all these signals and it says, okay, we got to get ready to, you know, properly break down, digest this food, and then actually extract all of the nutrients that it contains. If we're just drinking something, you know, if you're drinking something like, I mean, even a smoothie, but I think a, a something like a pop is a perfect example. This is basically bypassing our digestive system. And so this too is an enormous problem because in the long term, in the long run, as we do this day in, day out, over and over again, this leads to problems. It leads to metabolic issues. Um, it can increase our, our risk for different illnesses. And it really, like I said, just has to do with the incredible impact of chewing. So even chewing, we know that when we chew versus eat an isocaloric meal, these studies have been done. They'll give individuals, say, a smoothie, which has identical calorie content to a whole food, which must be chewed. We know that it has a, a dramatic difference on even hunger. So the individuals who start with that liquid intake ultimately go on to eat more later in the day because they have more hunger. And the, the research has also looked at some of the precise mechanisms going on here. So you'll maybe recognize some of these hunger hormones and signals as we've talked about a few of them before, but things like CCK, which is cholecystokinin, this prevents us from excessively eating. Well, it turns out that when we chew, that's a stronger promoter for CCK than drinking. Other things, GLP-1. And you can just kind of go down the list here and, and look at some of the dramatic differences. So there's that. And then, you know, I don't think I even mentioned the biggest problem yet, which is when we get this massive dose of fructose, which is what we're getting from these sugary drinks, it's going straight to our liver. So fructose is metabolized completely separate from glucose. These are, these are two different things, right? So to give you an example, a piece of fruit will have a mixture of some glucose, some fructose, certain fruits are higher in fructose. But as I said, this fructose is not created the same as fructose in like a pop. Anyways, when we drink that, that fructose goes to the liver and it basically overwhelms the liver. What it does is it eventually leads to an accumulation of inflammation in the liver, reactive oxygen species, which is just oxidation. Basically, it's what you're trying to target with antioxidants. And then again, over time, like one drink isn't going to be a problem, but who actually has one of these over time? This is what can contribute to fatty liver disease, insulin resistance, and then ultimately, um, you know, a whole host of different chronic illnesses. This is guys, by the way, why we're now seeing something like fatty liver disease in children, 
fatty liver disease in children. It's incredible, but just so sad. This is a disease that we once thought was a disease of alcoholism because we would only ever see this in alcoholics. We would see this fatty liver in alcoholics, but because of the modern diet now, because of this modern junk and crap and pop and sugary drinks, we're seeing this develop in kids. So isn't that just incredible and, and also so sad at the same time? So that's really one of the reasons why if I had to pick one thing, I would just completely remove these. So if we back up to the original question, what do I think about these? Um, I, I'm, I'm still not a big fan, even if it's 100%, you know, all natural, organic, blah, 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 freshly squeezed orange juice, apple juice. I'm still not a big fan of them. I think there can be exceptions for sure, but I, I kind of, I, I think I just see it as like um, perhaps a lesser evil compared to something like pop. But it, if, if our goal ultimately is to improve our health and be as healthy as we possibly can, uh, to me, they, they don't have a place and it's just because of the enormous amounts still of sugar, extra calories compared to those whole fruits bypasses our digestive system. Doesn't give us the fiber. Doesn't give us all the polyphenols vitamin C. I mean, that's a crappy argument too, because if, if you look at vitamin C content in whole foods, I mean, you're still going to get a lot more like if vitamin C in a glass of orange juice, you're going to get maybe about 100, 120 milligrams. Well, if you eat a red pepper, you're going to get over 300. If you eat a green pepper, you're going to get probably about 150. Eat a kiwi, you're going to get a, about 100. Um, an orange even, you're going to get maybe 70 or 90. So I'd, you know, it's, it's, I, it's not a good argument in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, I again, just to kind of uh, summarize, I, I don't think they're the best option. Sometimes there's exceptions for sure. Um, but just sugary drinks in general, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they really serve a purpose. And I definitely don't see these as a substitute to whole fruits or whole foods. That being said, if it works for you um, and you feel good and you're still, you feel to be optimally healthy and you do still include these, um, that's good too. So I think our last question for today. Yes, indeed. This is the last one is tips for a hangover cure. So probably can't cure it here. Maybe that's not the best term, but there's definitely things we can do to, you know, prevent or improve things. So the number one factor here that's going to make us feel crappier is just dehydration. So we know that in large quantities, alcohol will inhibit an important enzyme known as alcohol dehydrogenase. Now, the problem with this is that alcohol dehydrogenase or ADH normally actually helps us reabsorb water back into the body. So as you can see, and as we've all probably felt, if you are someone who um, drinks sometimes, 
dehydration is really the biggest issue here. And this makes sense. I mean, this can explain a lot of the symptoms that we might experience, the headaches, just the fatigue, how your, how your face looks and, and so on. So mitigating this is really, as I said, important factor number one. So what we can do for that electrolytes. Now, kind of like three different stages here, I would say like your best option, of course, would be to, if possible, hydrate kind of in intervals, I would say. So like after, um, you know, after each drink or after every couple drinks or whatever, that's going to be a good practice. As you know, this doesn't always happen. It's easy to forget about this, myself included. So best option number two, at the end of the night, before you go to bed, get a ton of hydration and electrolytes in. And then option three is the next morning. And you could do every single one of those for sure, but that's kind of order of most importance. So that's a big one there. So what would the most beneficial options be? Well, to me, the best option is a artificial flavor, sugar-free electrolyte powder, something like ATP Labs Electrolytes XL or LMNT is another good one. Another good option would be coconut water or even something like water with a little pinch of salt, maybe some coconut water if you have some. Some lemon in there can be good. Even a little bit of pickle juice or, um, you know, something like this from a, a pickle jar can help too. So just something to get these electrolytes and minerals in. I know a lot of people often resort to things like Gatorade and Powerade, but for some of the same reasons that we just discussed, are these going to be better than nothing? Um, yeah, probably but I, I still think there's better options. And again, just for some of the same reasons we already discussed, because as I said, we know that those huge doses of fructose, which we're going to get from something like a Gatorade or Powerade also is overwhelming the liver. Well, what are we doing when we drink? We're already doing that. We're overwhelming the liver. And so you're kind of just punching it twice instead of just once. And so I think there's better options here. Just a couple more options here, guys, in closing, if you kind of want to geek out on this, maybe a little bit more, um, NAC would probably be your best option, which is N-acetylcysteine. So what this is, is, well, it's a natural supplement, first and foremost, um, over-the-counter, easy to get. But what this is, is it's a precursor or basically what is required for your body then to make something called glutathione. So glutathione is a really important antioxidant in the body, especially in the liver. When you're drinking alcohol, you're going to be depleting glutathione because you're forcing it to kind of work in overdrive. When we force our liver to detoxify things, that creates reactive oxygen species. And every time you do that, we require glutathione to quench that reactive oxygen species. And so as you can see, the more oxidative stress you build up from things like drinking, smoking will do this as well. The more glutathione you deplete, 
telling us that the more precursors or resources to replete that we require. And so something like NAC, as I mentioned, is needed to make this. So this can be um, beneficial. Now, um, interestingly, we can also make glutathione from um, just cysteine, which is an amino acid similar to NAC. But I just highlight this because you'll get some, you'll get a good amount of cysteine even in something like whey protein. So, you know, maybe day of or the day after or both, some whey protein could be beneficial as well. I'm not going to say that you need to do this before bed or the next morning or something like that. Um, I, I don't feel that's the case. I just think having some of this cysteine or NAC on board is going to be beneficial. So you can try something like 1500 milligrams of NAC either while you're drinking or the next day, or again, both would be beneficial. B vitamins. This is another good example. We know that we're going to also deplete some B vitamins, perhaps not just from say like one day or one night, but if we're doing this, you know, maybe over the course of a summer or something like that, or even um, a couple weekends, this is a realistic target. And in, indeed, for sure, depletion of some of these B vitamins is also going to cause some pretty nasty side effects. Some research suggests that low levels of B1, perhaps, thiamine, thiamine, I don't know, I can't say that right now, can be associated with headaches. And there's, you know, many other different examples. So B vitamins we know are critical. And so either taking a good quality B complex or multivitamin that's going to give you your B vitamins or and or diet. We won't get into that right now, but we also know that gut health is absolutely critical for actual um, production of our own B vitamins, which is another kind of cool separate discussion in itself. So that's all for today, guys. Uh, thank you again for these questions. Hope you enjoyed these. I do have a couple guests finally lined up in the coming weeks. You'll hear the first one with a guest. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think two weeks from now. Uh, so stay tuned from that one. But that's all. Hope you guys have a great week. If you have any questions at all, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Have a great week.